Listen in to find out how you can help your patients to plug into their health and offer personalised health solutions. I chat to Kathy Reid about Google Glass and the wearable tech revolution. Welcome to the Transformation Show, where successful pharmacy owners and technology partners help you to build a better 21st century pharmacy by embracing technology. Here is your host, Robert Starr. G'day, motivated pharmacy owners, and welcome back to Transformation, the first show in the world where technology and pharmacy collide to bring you, the motivated pharmacy owner, all that you need to know to build that 21st century pharmacy. My name's Robert Starr, your host and guide on that great journey of ours. And welcome back to episode 11, would you believe? We are now, would you believe, in 20 countries around the world. I think it's a marvellous achievement. I was simply blown away when I picked up the statistics on Monday morning. And we are now seen in countries as far as Tanzania, as far as Canada and the US. So welcome to our listeners in these countries. It's fantastic to hear from you. And also the Philippines as well. I'll list you all in the coming episodes, but it's just fantastic that this show can become a global movement of pharmacy and technology known as transformation. So in this week, it's been a big week. We've been talking a lot about the budget and no doubt Every one of us has been thinking about how this is going to affect our business. And it's taken me a little while to digest it. Uh, Joe Hockey uh, certainly did deliver a very strong budget and certainly one that he felt that had to be at the moment. And uh, there are some impacts on us that we need to consider. My take on it is that two things that I took out of it was the GP co-payments going up and introduced for bulk billing clinics, and obviously the uh, PBS Medicines co-payment going up as well. So the likely outcomes from this is perhaps patients may think twice about seeing the GP, and we may start to see less number of prescriptions coming our way. And with the increase in co-payment on both general and concessional levels, we may start to see compliance suffer as medicines start to go from essential to perhaps discretionary, which in fact is a very sad thing to consider. So where this takes us is really focusing on personalised care. And why do I say that? Well, when you've got a deteriorating number of scripts coming to us, we need to increase the perceived value to our patients. It's not that we need to give away more dollars or more incentives to our patients to come and see us, But we need to be doing more and they need to be receiving more to really value and put medicines always in the essential basket and never in the discretionary basket. And where I'm going with this is that we need to do more of what we're really good at. Dose administration aids, medication management, SMS reminders to our patients to come and pick up prescriptions on a cyclical basis so that they never run short. So if we set those reminders at 21 days... It allows our patients a seven-day window to ensure they never run out of medicines. And also, perhaps introducing that a lot of our pharmacies should already be doing is patient follow-ups as well. So when a patient starts a new medicine, just marking in an electronic calendar or perhaps just to start off in a paper diary to get started, just a follow-up call in a few days to make sure that they're getting the best value from that medicine and that no adverse reactions have been seen. And these types of things will start to increase our patients' 
value of the experience of receiving a prescription medicine. And particularly if they're inside a medication management solution, it's obviously a managed environment where we can talk to the doctors and provide additional services around home medication reviews and even meds checks within our capped environment. And we can start to improve compliance and not lead to a decrease in compliance. If we simply look at withdrawing services and cutting down what we do, then we will see those obvious outcomes of less prescriptions coming through our doors and will really suffer. So the answer is a positive one, not a negative one. We just need to do more of what we're good at and really up the ante as far as giving our patients more. The other outcome of this is also the GP visits as well. Patients will now, if they've been going to doctors on a bulk billing basis, may start to reconsider whether they want to go and see the GP for something that they may perceive to be a low, a lowish um, primary health condition. And they may in fact t- turn to us as pharmacists, as freely accessible healthcare professionals, as we always have been, and really getting us to be the first point of call if we aren't already, but we may start to see more of that. So this give, gives rise to our professional services model. And obviously the, in, the intention from all of us was to look at what happened in March and look at thinking, well, we capped at meds checks, so therefore professional services is done because we're not going to get funded. But we need to start developing value propositions around how we can help patients more in a primary health care environment. And that's a really good segue, I believe, to our, to our next segment, which is our interview with Kathy Reid. And we're going to be talking about how we can have a more personalised health care react- relationship with our patients. Kathy is um, a managing partner of APHS, one of Australia's largest pharmacy service providers to the hospital, oncology and aged care sector. She's also the founder of APHS Packaging, which delivers medication compliance packs to over 20,000 elderly Australians via a network of community pharmacies. She was named in one of the top 100 women of influence in the Australian Financial Review in 2013, won a National Telstra Business Awards for Women in 2011, and was recognised by Monash University with a Distinguished Alumni Award for her professional achievement in 2012. Her primary focus is seeking innovative technology based on solutions to meet the healthcare needs of an ageing population. She's a strong advocate of social media. I encourage you to follow Kathy on Twitter, as I do, in healthcare to support a society that is increasingly involved in their own health outcomes. Good morning, Kathy Reid, and welcome to the Transformation Show this morning. Uh, you are a pharmacy owner, you have your own pharmacy, and everything that we talk about this morning is going to be things that you're doing yourself, which we're really excited to talk to you about. Good morning. Good morning, Robert. Great to chat to you this morning and really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, great. No, great, Kathy. Look, I think we're going to cover quite a number of uh, new aspects in pharmacy. Uh, we're going to be talking about wearables and Google Glass particularly, which you've received a lot of press coverage around. Um, can you tell us, when you left university, what did you imagine um, that your first pharmacy would look like? And did it involve technology originally? Um, you are probably well known as our best adopter of technology in pharmacy in Australia. Um, but um, yeah, could you tell us a little bit about that? 
When I first left uni, I probably had, um, I guess, a much more traditional career pathway in mind initially. I'd actually worked in a community pharmacy since I was 15 after school part-time and I worked in that same pharmacy while I was at uni. Um, the the pharmacist that I worked for was an earlier adopter of technology himself. You know, we, we were very early in putting computerised dispensing systems in and then point-of-sale systems, and I'd been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to be involved in the implementation of both of those, which probably actually engendered my early passion for technology and pharmacy and being able to see the opportunities and the benefits that delivered. But that was very much in the retail space. So the first 10 years of my career were pretty solidly in in that retail space, but I guess always having a real bent to the technology that was available at that time, which was predominantly around um, point-of-sale systems and keeping on being able to innovate and really push the point-of-sale systems to their full potential. Mm, no, uh, absolutely, and obviously there's so many more things that have evolved even outside of our industry, and uh, I guess outside of our traditional pharmacy space, what perhaps was the first thing that you looked at as thinking, well, that's worked well in another industry, Is this, could that work in our industry? Yeah, look, I think initially where I sort of started to, to divert from that, I guess, more more typical and, and standard pharmacy path was back when the introduction of the first funded professional services was coming in and in particular you know the first one originally was um, medication reviews and doing medication reviews so I was in that sort of first cohort of pharmacists to register and become accredited for medication reviews and then got really interested I was based in Victoria at that time and the um, the PSA locally in Victoria were running a series of programs on looking at professional pharmacy and at that stage you know it was forward pharmacy and brought out some speakers from the states talking about how that model of pharmacy services could evolve and that was where you know I went back to the pharmacy that I was managing and said you know we've we've got to get part of this and introduced um, the the, DAA program for community pharmacies community patients into that pharmacy where we put a marketing program together and an awareness program and went around and communicated all that to all of the doctors and you know it was all it was all manual packing back then but I guess that was where you know you can see where some of those germs of ideas that have mm. then gone on to become fully-fledged businesses originated. No, ab- ab- absolutely and, and I, g- I guess that may have sown the seeds of um, your early phases of um, starting APHS packaging. Um, could you tell us uh, just a little bit about how that started and that obviously went from a manual packing process to an automotive process? Yeah, well, at APHS package at, at APHS Pharmacy, we'd actually been using the um, automated packing technology for our aged care business for quite some time, and then as we were you're doing our strategic planning and looking at where the opportunities were going to be going forward you know we actually had a real crisis in our business back in 2007 where we were the largest provider of pharmacy services to the Ramsey hospitals at that time Mm -hmm. and that was when Ramsey decided to take those services in-house across the board via their section 94 program and that um, that was going to result in 60% reduction in both our revenue and, and profitability and was a really, really challenging time. So we had to sit down and look at, well, how are we going to reinvent? We didn't have the option just to continue business as usual because biz- that decision had been made 
by another party that that wasn't going to be the case. And so we did um, we did a lot of strategic planning and looking at opportunities. And obviously, with the aging population and the need for medication support, particularly to support those elderly Australians who are going to be living in their own homes for for longer by virtue of the demand for service not actually meeting the the number of um, residential care places that are either existing now or projected to be built into the future, there was an obvious opportunity there to take that IP that we developed in our aged care pharmacy space, turn that into a manufacturing business and make that a service that any community pharmacy in Australia could access to support them in delivering those services to that growing population of elderly Australians. So that was how that component of it really came about. No, absolutely. And, and as we can see, the community pharmacy landscape, uh, I guess when we're projecting forward, looking at the positive outlook of what the community pharmacies may look like and what services they may deliver, some, some may argue that we are at a particular crisis point ourselves um, where, where would you I guess where would you say as an early adopter that even technology outside of aged care areas and we're going to get into that um, is why pharmacy owners should perhaps be looking at technology as a way of improving their profitability in the 21st century and also um, increasing their positive outlook Look, I think there's two really good opportunities that technology delivers, and one of them is probably the more obvious one around productivity and looking at what aspects of your business you can incorporate technology in to deliver productivity gains. Because the flip side of our ageing population is that all of those people who are getting older are actually exiting the workforce over time and the workforce is not topping up. The population growth at the bottom end isn't happening at the same rate as it is at the top end. You know, our our society is getting older. So we're going to, all industries are actually going to have to get far better at automating and improving productivity via technology because there's just not physically going to be as many workers as there have been in the past by the time another 20 years has expanded. So there's that component to it. Then the other component is I think the opportunities of incorporating technology into healthcare and disease state management are really, really exciting. And that's the way that healthcare has been delivered traditionally, personally, I think is going to be absolutely transformed over the course of the next 15 to 20 years. And technology is going to play a big role in that. And pharmacy with their really close connections and the frequency of visits and the accessibility that they deliver to that consumer base has a fantastic opportunity to really be at the forefront there. Mm, no, absolutely. I, I might actually skip ahead to a later question I have because I think this dovetails into it. Um, in, in terms of wearable technology, and um, I, I, note, I note that um, you, you're a big advocate for that, and uh, I, I wear the jawbone up, up myself, and I think you have one of the Nike bands, and uh, there's obviously an opportunity to get data around ourselves, and there's a movement that perhaps you can tell our listeners a little bit about that quantified self movement, and why that may be important for pharmacy owners, and there's an opportunity for them to play a bigger role in their patients moving forward. Absolutely. So to me, there's two, I guess, two planets really colliding at the moment. Quantified self is about people's ability to obtain data about themselves and measure a variety of metrics using using wearables, whether that be, you know, like we talked about the, the more traditional fitness style monitors mm. that monitor your activity. But then, you know, there's also 
there is still a role for the the longer term older kind of technology here in blood pressure monitoring, blood glucometers, all those kind of things. And they're all evolving to become more integrated and delivering this information that really allows you, I guess, to quantify aspects of yourself and have data around that. And that dovetails really nicely into the the shift in healthcare around personalization, where consumers are really looking for tailored, personalized care. They want it that makes them feel that their needs and their goals as individuals are being met. And I think, you know, you can have a conversation with a consumer. They've got an increase, ever increasing number of multiple concurrent chronic health conditions. And you can't actually manage all of them to their absolute optimal simultaneously. So decisions have to be made around what's actually the most important to that consumer. You know, what are the things that they value most? Is it a lady who really enjoys her craft and she's prepared to trade off being able to continue with her craft work if her arthritis is able to be managed with the knowledge that that's going to potentially mean that another aspect of her health isn't going to be managed to an optimal degree but you can't kind of have it all. So that's where that concept of personalization is. And then I think the ability to integrate wearables to help the person see the impact and quantify the impact and be able to give that information back to their healthcare professional to help guide the decision-making process and ensure that the best and the most tailored advice possible is a really, really exciting opportunity and one that we're really only scratching the tip of the iceberg of at this point in time. Mm, absolutely. And look, I think one of the most exciting things around wearables and the ability to communicate back to the pharmacy and have the pharmacist Did involved... I just lose- have the pharmacist involved is um, to um, ensure that pharmacists can actually provide recommendations um, ahead of ahead of time and actually know things about their patients and be able to call them proactively. Uh, Kathy, there for a moment. I think Kathy, you, Kathy, you there? I'm I'm back. Okay. I'm not sure what happened there. That's all right. We might just have a, have a little gap that we'll uh, we'll, we'll sort out. Um, so w- where I was getting at there is uh, I think that one of the most exciting aspects of um, of the wearables is that the pharmacy um, owners and the pharmacists will be able to receive data from their patients. Uh, before perhaps there's actually a acute reason and be able to provide guidance in preventative health. Um, do you see that as, a, as, as, as an area of uh, opportunity for pharmacists to get involved? Oh, absolutely. Being able to look at, yeah, to be able to look at that data and, you know, the, the whole goal is exactly as you said, be able to read the signs and predict the trends before an event actually happens and be able to intervene and prevent that event from happening or reduce the severity of it. And that's that's where there's just an enormous potential. And I think, you know, pharma, pharmacists have got a huge amount of technology in their pharmacies already. We all have broadband connection that works really, really well because we're connected to Medicare full-time as part of our other activities. So we're really nicely set up as an industry to be able to to you know, start with the basics they're already covered and other some other businesses don't have that 
flexibility already. Mm, absolutely. And do you see that being part of the uh, personally controlled electronic health record or sitting separate from that? Uh, I think the latest statistics that I got on that last week was that we've got roughly about 1.5 million registrants, but really only about 6,000 users. Um, but do you see this kind of activity um, entering into the PCEHR space or sitting outside of it? Look, I think I'd like to hope that ultimately, that, you know, if we're talking about what the holy grail is, the holy grail to me is that you've actually got all of the information in, in the personally controlled electronic health record that allows any of the healthcare professionals involved in delivering you care access to the best and most relevant decisions to help them help you manage your health conditions. And the data that you get from wearables is a, is going to play a really important part of that. The issue at the moment is still everything's very siloed. You know, you get one piece of data around one um, one device that doesn't really connect. And we're starting to see some of the acquisitions being made of different companies and companies rolling together to start to bring, or, and even just collaborations where data is starting to be shared so you can get a better picture. You know, the Fitbit now talks to the um, MyFitnessPal app so you can incorporate, you know, diet, exercise, and the quantified data that you get from the activity tracker of the Fitbit, whereas previously you were having to log into multiple different sites to, to collate all of that. Mm. And I think we'll see a really rapid um, <coughs> coalition of all of these currently siloed data pieces into something that gives you a, a broader brush summary. And, you know, I think there's a lot of speculation that iWatch is going to be the device that is the real game changer in terms of bringing the early adapter wearable tech that's predominantly at this stage really focused more around that kind of fitness and, and general health rather than actually clinic managing clinical and chronic health conditions. And all of the rumours are suggesting that iWatch is going to be the first big game changer there. And, you know, if, for me, that would be just fantastic. I'm really, really hoping that that is the case. Look, absolutely. And look, I think the general health areas is really a great starting point for um, patient adopters to get started. Look, I, I know that I've had um, my jawbone up for probably 14 months now, and it was uh, just off the ba back of, um, <laughs> I had the unfortunate um, nature of at the age of 32 having pneumonia and uh, having to backtrack through um, my health uh, issues at the time and a lot of it it was attributed to not sleeping enough um, perhaps not moving enough during the day and doing too much um, uh, spurt exercises on the weekend like uh, you know doing lots of running on the weekend but not much during the weekend yeah. uh, the jawbone's been invaluable for me to be able to set those goals of sleeping better um, exercising and obviously having things like idle alerts go off on my wrist when uh, yep. I don't move for an hour so I just think yep. it's a great space for people to start looking at how their body behaves and getting feedback from a device that is not um, a health practitioner that really sits on them all day but it just yep. reminds them what what's important to them. And I, like, I look at something like, you know, how often as pharmacists do we give that counselling of, you know, this medicine, that there is the potential that this medicine may upset some of your sleeping patterns. So, you know, and let, 
you know, I know I always was saying, let me know how you're going with that. And if you do notice any changes to your sleeping patterns, feel free to pop back in and we can have a chat around some management strategies to help you with those if you need them. And I think how much better if you can add into that conversation as well. And look, this is a device, you know, like the Fitbit, you you can clip this onto your pyjamas and it'll actually give you some feedback around your quality of sleep that you've experienced during the night. And then that way you've got something, you've got a data set that you can monitor against where yes you you have woken up 17 times during the night and yes I can see that that's leaving you feeling really tired the next day let's try this as a strategy mm. and then they come back the following week and you go oh how awesome is that you're down to like seven or eight times a night are you noticing the difference and if if people see evidence and you know I know it's not it's not the same as a clinical trial it hasn't had random double blind controlled studies or anything else but the reality is most people will actually uh, say, yeah, it's, it's pretty consistent with what I am actually experiencing. Yeah. And if you can see some evidence that's, that you trust that says, you know what, I, I do feel better because I am waking up less at night, it, it helps to, to reinforce that, you know, perception is reality. And then all of it, and as a pharmacist, I think consumers would actually, it, it, it's a way of, illustrating the value of the advice that you can provide to them because you know there's evidence being created yeah absolutely and and i think just as, as a little uh humor humor side to it and i think probably the fitbit's the same is that these devices can actually wake you up in the morning so if you happen to be an early riser and uh your partner or in my case my wife isn't an early riser um it, it's able to actually wake you up without waking the rest of the house up so yeah yeah it's oh uh, if you if you've got young kids i know it always used to be a nightmare the issue of the alarm going off <laughs> and you'd always be horrified that one of the babies would wake wake up with the sound of your alarm and yeah having it having a silent vibrating alarm that wakes you up without disturbing anyone else is yeah i agree massive lifestyle benefit yeah, absolutely um so look i guess touching on wearable tech and i guess where we're seeing at the moment um you know there are general health devices we're starting to see i think health point are introducing the eye health range to pharmacy yep. as well and it's really i think we're right at the point where pharmacy needs to make a decision as to how we're going to tackle this and as you've seen yourself and i've read on your blog and i'm sure we'll let our, let it, let our listeners know how they can keep in touch with that um is that Harvey Norman have gone into connected health devices and they're probably not the most appropriate people to be leading the way here. And um, where, where would you advise pharmacy owners to get started with wearable tech? Is it something they should be doing themselves um, and recommending to their patients? Um, where where look, would they sit right now? Look, I think the... Um, I think the company that you mentioned before, NI Health, it's a... I've, I've got no affiliation with mm. them whatsoever, but I was... I thought it was fantastic to see them entering the marketplace and trying to to claim to give pharmacists the opportunity to claim that space because, like you've identified, there's a lot of other retailers. Harvey Norman, Meyer have put in the section. Obviously, any of the Apple stores have massive display areas now devoted to health and wearable devices. And if pharmacists don't actually get in there and claim some of that space, there's plenty of others waiting to gobble it all, gobble it all up, and none of the others 
that are actually playing in the space at the moment have got health-related background. But it, it won't take long whether they actually end up putting health professionals into their retail offering as part of that retail offering, which is highly possible, mm. or whether it's another allied health professional. You know, the nurses have been very, very successful at identifying new business opportunities for nursing groups. And I my concern is that if pharmacy doesn't get in there and get active with it, then... Um, someone else will and the opportunity will be lost. And, you know, I know the guys at iHealth have, know the space really well, can provide really good support and guidance. So get out there, get a couple of devices yourself, start playing with it personally and talk to the people who actually know about it and they can, you know, they're, they're screaming out to help pharmacists set up business units around wearables in their pharmacies. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> Kathy, you do sit on the cutting edge of a lot of these trends and I, I suppose some of our pharmacy owners may be listening to this and it may be a little bit past where they are right now in understanding, but look, what, what do you do on an everyday basis to keep yourself up to date with the tech? Technology. And I guess what would be a great starting point for pharmacy owners to start to be able to look at these new trends and start to learn a little bit more about them? Look, there's so much information available on the internet. And if you, you, know, if you Google wearable tech and healthcare, there's a lot of great articles and um, websites that can give you a real, that can bring you up to speed really quickly. And then go out, get a couple of the devices and start, you know, get a, get a Fitbit or get a, well, fuel band's not available in Australia and it looks like it's actually going off the market altogether. So stay away from that one. But um, certainly I think Fitbit's a great device and there's various types that you can play around with. Get something happening and, and start playing around and get some experience in it. But really, you know, it is where truly the, the internet is your friend in this instance and just those words, wearable tech and healthcare can send you down a whole rabbit warren of, of great information. I, you know, I'm um, really active on social media. I follow a lot of these type of companies and the people who do blog and write about and circulate the information on Twitter. So I'm constantly getting updated information on what what's happening in the space via, via my social media feeds. So um, there's, there's no shortage of information around and you can... Um, you can access it really quickly and get yourself up to speed quite easily. Absolutely. And we spoke on several episodes ago about the value of Twitter and accessing it as a good news feed um, on an everyday basis. And uh, I think our listeners could do a lot, a, lot, a lot by following you and getting getting to know some of the wearable tech followers that you have and, um, you know, certainly getting some benefit from that. Um, we'll switch over to, um, I, I guess, Google Glass, which is, I think, what a lot of our listeners that um, may have um, listened to you or read material in the pharmacy media in the past. Um, it's, it's, an, it's a piece of technology that um, is getting a lot of press. It probably hasn't hit our shores just yet, but I believe that's not far away. But how did you start in your journey with Google Glass? And uh, you, you, you've joined an explorer group, which is a unique group across the world. And I believe that may start to open up to others. But could you tell us about your journey with Google Glass today? Yeah, absolutely. And and I guess my interest was peaked in Google Glass just through, you know, 
love of tech and those same we're starting to see a lot of information coming through about it on through those forums we talked about before and then I went to a wearable tech conference in LA last year in December and there were a few Google Glass explorers there and so I sort of fronted up and introduced myself and sort of played that hi I'm here from Australia and I'm the <laughs> can I we, we don't have Google Glass can I have a look at it and you know one of the things I found universally with the Glass Explorer community is they're all ad they're all like ambassadors for glass and they welcome the they love the opportunity to talk about it they love the opportunity to demo it and now that I'm fortunate enough to be in that position as well there's nothing cooler than putting your glass on on somebody's head and talking them through and just seeing their face kind of open up as they go even the skeptics who go, oh, no, I couldn't see what value that would be or how it would work. Once they actually see what it's like to experience information delivered whenever you need it, right in front of your eyes, hands free, and what the possibilities and the opportunities that that open up. In my experience, no one ever has not been blown away by that and immediately been able to espouse some kind of application for them in their personal life. And I think in healthcare, the opportunities are just insane. It's where you know, hands-free wearables, I think, are going to be massive in the healthcare space of the future. Absolutely, and I've seen some great case studies about how they're potentially going to be using that, already using it in the US, having health records in front of physicians so that they're essentially spending more time hands-on with their patient as opposed yeah. to needing to break the consultation up to take notes and to access information about previous history. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's certainly bringing us closer to our patients where perhaps the general perception might be that the technology might get in the way. Yeah, I think it as as well as bringing us closer to our patients, it also opens up opens up fantastic opportunity for professional collaboration. And you know, you've got someone. You, we all have this twenty times a day. Someone presents into our pharmacy. You speak to them. They've got something that maybe you'd like a second opinion from another pharmacist on. Maybe that you want to actually be able to. You know, in a perfect world, you go. How good would it be? if their GP could see what I'm seeing now. And the reality is with something like Google Glass, you can because you can dial up the GP, start a video call, and they can see exactly what you're looking at. So you can go, you know, this, I'm really uncomfortable with this wound. I think it needs, you know, it needs some sort of treatment. The recovery is not going as well. What do you think? You know, dial in a, a wound management specialty nurse and being able to look at that for a for a young pharmacist maybe who's encountering something that they haven't seen before mm. you know things like measles and that type of thing because of the success of the vaccination programs we don't see those sort of things in real life all that often anymore so you're a newly registered pharmacist and someone presents and you go kind of looks like something i've seen in a textbook but i'm not 100 percent confident the only option at the moment is to refer that person on and i I am seeing a world where you go, hang on, would you mind if I just, you know, dialed up a colleague to consult on this and ring, you know, another another pharmacist or again, whether it be the GP or another healthcare professional and say, look, I to me, I think this looks like measles. What do you think? And have that be able to be confirmed or get that second opinion in, I think is a fantastic way of professionals able, being able to collaborate together.
Look, absolutely. And we can see even now, possibly the best use case might even be diabetics where we've got those extended patient care plans and we do have podiatrists and um, yep. uh, we've got renal specialists, pharmacists, diabetes educators, and it could be foreseeable that we could actually have those EPC discussions live with the patient as opposed to it being perhaps weeks after the patients have been examined by each individual person so exactly I, I, I think it's a lot more dynamic and ultimately i think it leads to better patient outcomes which is really what it's about exactly could not agree more yeah so with google glass how do you use it on an everyday basis? I think our listeners will be really interested to know, I guess, from a personal perspective, but also um, in your business already in the pharmacy as well. Yes, I guess the, I, one, one of the things with glass is that it's, it's kind of like um, you can imagine wearing, wearing your mobile phone on your head. So there's not a whole lot of things that you can do with it that you couldn't do with a mobile phone but the beauty is that you don't have to you don't have to hold it you don't have to have it there it's it's there and that information's delivered right before your eyes so i um there's a workout app that's on it that i use really often called links fit so that gives you again it's it's like there's no shortage of um workout or training apps that you can download to your phone or your ipad but you've got to keep pulling it out of your pocket or holding it while you're doing the workout and yes. see. And so it'll count down the number of exercise reps that I've got to do. Um, the accelerometer gives a intensity and count measurement for you. Um, you can get a video display of the exercise demonstrating it if you need to. And then it's there's a gamification aspect as well where it'll then rate your performance against your performance the last time you did that workout, which is, I for me, that sort of stuff motivates me. So I quite often will kick off the day using that type of thing. And then if I'm at my desk working, I'll be wearing glass and the I, I get a number of alerts that come through, you know, CNN, breaking news, Mashable stuff, Mashable alerts for whatever's trending on social media at the time. And that'll just pop up. You can tap glass to bring it back to life because the screen is dormant unless you're actually doing something with it. So nine times out of 10, I don't even notice that it's on my head while I'm sitting at my desk. It's only if someone walks past the door and looks in and goes, gives me an odd look and then I go, oh, that's right. I'm got a computer on my head so. that's what i was going to ask is, is it comfortable is it something that you notice that you're wearing obviously once you're used to it um you know look I, certainly when i started wearing the jawbone you know every day it was something that i noticed initially but i don't really notice it anymore is it something you just get used to oh it's so it's so lightweight and comfortable you know you within 10 it's really funny even if people are trying it out they, you get into a conversation, the screen turns off because nobody's interacting with it and you're chatting away for 10 minutes and then they kind of go, oh, I've forgotten that it's even on my head because it's it's not intrusive. You the, the screen is not right before your eye. The screen actually sits slightly above your eye. So you're not looking at it the whole time. You've got to kind of look up to, to read or to see what's on the screen. And if the screen's blank, 
it's not intruding on your vision at all. And, and you do quite literally forget that you're wearing it. And normally the first indication is seeing somebody else's reaction reminds you that you've got glass on your head. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, look, obviously having had some great experience with it and um, now that it's open to other people, if they're interested in spending the 1500 US to become a glass explorer, would you be recommending that for other farms, for pharmacy owners to have a go at that? Or do you think perhaps start a little bit smaller first? Well, I think the, the challenge at the moment is that you um, you you can't, you can't get it readily in Australia. It's not a supported product in Australia, and you're, technically, you're actually meant to be a US resident mm-hmm. to to participate. So, and it's still very US focused. You know, everything's set to US time zones. All of the apps are designed for application in the US, and it's one of the challenges that we have in our business application development at the moment. You know, we're working at the moment on a drug information on having a. a piece of software where drug information can be delivered to glass for our pharmacists but kind of balancing the that work with the reality of knowing that at the minute I could get a really nice piece of software up and running but I can't actually roll that out across APHS because I can't actually get units for anybody else. Hmm. So sort of trying to do enough to be ready for when the broader release is there and occurs but not... Um, also very conscious of you know not um not shooting a whole lot of videos that can only play in beta machines so yeah absolutely and i think that's a really good segue given your long involvement in aged care where do you see the the best applications for glass in that environment Look, I think there's fantastic opportunities in the aged care space and certainly we've been talking to a couple of our clients about this. One of the big challenges that um, that aged care operators have is obviously registered nurses are a both an expensive and a harder and harder to come by resource for those operators. And we're seeing anybody who's got an involvement in the aged care space over the last five years in particular would have seen a real shift away from staffing being predominantly registered nurses to a real mix of registered nurses and professional care workers. And particularly over the over the nights, one of the challenges is always for those care workers with less clinical experience and clinical training than the RNs to be able to know what decisions to make you know when do they need to call the the on-call rn and or when do they need to summons the doctor and the concept of being able to have glass again where they can have that nurse see exactly what they're seeing from the comfort of their own home and be able to make a really informed judgment call as to whether that patient needs any additional support or um or medical intervention is just fantastic for them and they're really excited about the possibilities that that opens up Mm, no absolutely Um, so in terms of uh, we've covered a wide range of topics in wearables getting into glass and obviously how that's going to apply into healthcare but i'm going to ask you perhaps maybe a most difficult question is that in your mind, and being an early adopter, I've got no doubt that this is at the peak of your thoughts most days. What would be the biggest game-changing technology that if no, if time and resources were no barrier, what would you love to implement in pharmacy today? Look, the, the thing for me that is the real game-changer in health is actually a 
what we what we talked about before that really functional and accessible electronic health record that has useful relevant information that's accessible by any care provider across any healthcare professional discipline and the patient obviously and the patient's family we're permitted to be able to have everybody working off the same page and have the same knowledge base and access to the same decision information to make the decisions and i think you know that that is the holy grail of healthcare and as soon as you achieve that it really does make a very very big and significant difference to the way that patient care can be delivered so you know i'd i'd still really like to hope that that is an outcome that we do see by the end of my lifetime or my professional lifetime anyway but you know we've seemed to have had a lot of money spent on that in australia and not a lot of tangible outcome to this point but um i'd really love to see that change yeah no look absolutely and you know getting into that personalization phase where you know not only uh, uh, healthcare professionals telling patients what they can do to look after themselves but actually having patients having ownership of that data and being able to interact and make suggestions back to the healthcare pra- practitioner exactly. would, would certainly be a, a great uh, landscape for us to be in so kathy um Everyone can follow you, I believe, on kathyreid.com, and that goes through all of your Glass Explorer um, antics. Um, is there yep. in, 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 And they can follow you on Twitter as well. Yep. Um, but what would you leave our listeners with in terms of um, their technology journey? A lot may be at the very beginning at the moment, and I guess what would you say would be their logical first steps? Really just starting to get themselves educated in that space, and that, you know, if they've got if they've got teenager or older children, those children can certainly help in that delivery, and also talk to their team in their pharmacies as well. The chances that no singular person in the pharmacy is actually playing around in that space personally is really unlikely in this day and age. You know, the number of devices being sold and the rate of growth in that market, there will be somebody in your business already who's playing around in using this space in their own personal life. So have a chat to them and just really get that learning started and underway. Absolutely. Kathy, it's been great to have you on the show. I think our pharmacy owner listeners have got a lot out of it today and certainly uh, it's an, it's an on, ongoing movement and certainly a rolling ball where technology takes us different places every day. So thanks for joining us. No, thank you, Robert. Great to have the opportunity to chat. I really enjoyed it. No worries. Well, we can certainly take another angle on the future of pharmacy having listened to that interview. It was certainly terrific It's great to have such an advocate of early adoption in technology in our profession. And what we take away from that, as far as I can see, are three key learnings. Don't be afraid to be an early adopter. Already in our industry, we have such a high level of connectiveness with Medicare and PCHR via ERX and MediSecure. But as healthcare professionals, we need to be doing more on a patient and a store level and the education really starts now. The second thing is the opportunity for pharmacy and wearables is now. We don't want Harvey Norman taking the lead on this, or Meyer, or even the prospect, the prospect that we discussed of having nurse practitioners or nurses employed in these department stores to take involvement on a primary healthcare level when we could be really, as high adopters of technology as an industry, be taking the lead on that one. The third thing is, The future of pharmacy and personalised patient care is bright. We need to embrace it 
and it will be part of us and that way we'll always try to avoid what has happened to our pharmacist counterparts in other areas of the world where perhaps in supermarkets and large chains we've simply become a hole in the wall. Yes, there are specialised pharmacists that are existing outside of these environments, but certainly in Australia, we want to make sure that community pharmacy has a long and sustainable future. And I think that personalised patient care, bringing that patient right in the centre, is going to be a big part of that. App of the Week is going to lead in from the interview. And I'm going to pick the Jawbone Up. We spoke about Jawbone Up and Fitbit as two wearable tech devices that are a very low-end level of fitness trackers. Kathy's a big fan of Fitbit. I'm a big fan of Jawbone Up, so I'm going to talk about Jawbone Up. But again, as with all of the other technologies and apps that I talk about, I'm not incentivized by them. But as I'm passionate about Jawbone, I think I can probably convey a good message. And Kathy's already spoken about Fitbit a little bit. So Jawbone Up, I've had mine for just over 12 months now and I might have alluded to in the interview that I actually got hold of that one because I wanted to take ownership over my general health and well-being and as it so often is in my life, I turned to technology to assist me and to partner with me to give me a greater insight. And I looked at the Jawbone Up and I thought, well, what a fantastic device and I'll tell you a bit about what it does. And initially, and I can tell you the story of how that led up to it, is that in 2012, at the age of 31, I had pneumonia. And often you wonder at that point in time, and I had three or four weeks of lying on my back at home. Thank goodness I managed to stay out of hospital. I've never smoked and I'm not asthmatic, so I believe that was the only two things that were keeping me out of hospital. But at the end of the day, I needed to reconsider as to how I got into this process. And above all, there was probably a little too much idleness and stationary. I was walking around the pharmacy, but even going back and forth from the dispensary to the patient counter really didn't amount to a lot of steps in the day. So a little bit too much idleness and probably not enough sleep. I was probably averaging about four hours of sleep at that time and it really wasn't a sustainable position to be in and of course I'd get out on the weekend and do lots of exercise at that stage but it doesn't really help us um, if we go in fits and spurts so I wanted to understand myself a little bit better and what the jawbone up did was allow me to initially track all of the food I was eating that was certainly another consideration I wanted to look at allowed me to track the amount of water I was drinking because I always thought I could be drinking more but I wanted to actually analyze it. The exercise, it tracks my steps just like a pedometer but uh, this is a significantly better pedometer and what are the features I'm talking about here, Fitbit does all of this so it's really personal preference. The jawbone up is a bracelet that you wear on your wrist, it looks a lot like those um, plastic um, uh, bracelets that went through with the, uh, the the Lance Armstrong Live Strong era where, we, where a lot of people wore them on their wrists. It looks very similar to that and um, it's actually quite comfortable and it moulds very well to the uh, skin but it has actually got a computer inside it that's got an accelerometer which measures movement and also micro movement as well which is how it also tracks sleep as well so you can wear this 24 hours a day you're not encouraged to wear it in the shower that's probably the only time or in the water but everywhere else you would wear it and at night it can track your light your heavy sleep 
and tell you if you woke up, if you got, if you went to the uh, uh, went for a bit of a walk, um, and uh, it gives you a quality of sleep rating at the end of it as well. It allows you to set personal goals. So the goals I set was to try and sleep eight hours a night. I haven't quite got there yet, but I've gotten above six and a half hours on average in the last six months so it's a significant improvement from where I came from um, and the movement the aim is about 10,000 steps a day and um, you know I'm probably averaging about nearly 9,000 9,500 now which is a really good thing so that it's not just you're doing a lot of exercise at the end of it and look probably my journey to uh, do the 15k run of the kids probably was a good incentive to get out and moving almost every day so again what it does do as it is with most things even in our business it gives you data and that you can measure and if you can measure something you can manage something if you don't have measurements around it you can't manage it so a really valuable thing and as I mentioned a few little side benefits as well was that I tend to be an early riser and um, my wife certainly appreciated the fact that my alarm clock didn't go off at five in the morning and uh, I was able to wake myself up and I still do uh, using the jawbone bracelet to just uh, vibrate on your wrist. It wakes you up and, uh, and you're away as well. It doesn't have a sleep button or a snooze button, so when you're up, you're up. Uh, otherwise, you are in trouble if you fall back to sleep, which uh, happened in the early stages, but not so much in the others. But as we discussed in the interview, you need to start somewhere with wearables. It's a great one. I think we can all take care of ourselves better and have a better um, balance of how we hydrate ourselves, how we eat, how we drink. And there's a really good one for us coffee drinkers as well. And I am a, a, an avid coffee drinker as well in that Jawbone has created a Jawbone coffee app. Um, it's called Up Coffee and you can actually input your caffeine and using the sleep data that's, uh, in, that's stored inside your bracelet, um, it actually calculates how good your sleep is in comparison to how much coffee or caffeine you've drunk. And when you add up chocolate and uh, other caffeine-rich foods, as well as tea, coffee, cola drinks, um, it can add up to a lot. So again, to try to minimize our dependency on caffeine, which I'm sure we all drink a little bit more than we, we need to, um, it can really give us some useful information. So again, it's something that I think all of us can get value out of. And if we get value out of it and we can see how easy they are to work, it just works directly with our iPhone or Android. It includes a little headphone jack that um, is covered up by a case at the end and you simply plug it into your phone. There are versions just like with the Fitbit that are Bluetooth. So if you don't want to actually connect it as a hardwired connection to your device to synchronize, it can do it by Bluetooth as well. And they generally have between seven and 10 days worth of battery and the good way of actually charging these things, because if you think about it, something that you're going to wear 24 hours a day, seven days a week, when are you going to charge it? And uh, I find that actually keeping that uh, um, power cord, which is a USB one, uh, together with a USB car charger, which I use to charge my phone, I can actually charge it when I'm in the car and driving up to one of our family stores in, uh, in Frankston. It's a 45-minute drive, and that's a really good way of uh, keeping it charged as well. So... Again, I think it's a great starting point. I got a lot of benefit out of it. And one thing about Jawbone, I'm not sure about Fitbit, it does have a community as well. So if you want to join me in the community and uh, we can compare notes, I'm more than happy to, uh, to see you in there. 
Just wanted to talk about um, listener questions as well. Um, we spoke last week about an iTunes review, and um, I'm, I'm going to throw I'm going to throw a few things your way that I think you're going to like and get a lot of benefit out of. Before each show, I, I tend to put a tweet out um, that um, the that the episode is in production and to send me any questions, but obviously I'm happy to receive those at any time from you, either via the iTunes reviews or via the different social media, whether it be by Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, however you, however you like to do it. But what I'm gonna do is any reviews and questions that you wanna throw my way, and I would appreciate if it's a review with a question, I'm going to, for the first 10 reviews, and I might extend that further, we'll just see how we go with 10, is that you will be the first in the world to receive a copy of my book, Transformation, when it comes out in launching towards the end of June. So you'll be the first to receive a personalized signed copy from me. So if that's a good incentive for you, jump on there and put those reviews in. I certainly appreciate it, and there's nothing more, nothing better and nothing more that I would appreciate from you as a listener of this show. I'm also going to ask that before the interviews, we're going to inter inter interact during these interviews as well. So I'm going to encourage the listeners to actually put some questions in advance that I can ask my guests on the show as well. So you can actually find out a little bit about things that you want to know. So episodes coming up in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking to some pharmacy owners. I won't name them just yet, um, but they are pharmacy owners who have automation products in their pharmacies. And we're going to cover all brands. Uh, so if you have a Consus or a Villarc in your, in your store, please ask away. We've got one of those owners coming up. And if you've, also, and if you've got uh, a rower or if you have a robo-farmer or a goldman, we're going to cover all of those in the, in the coming weeks as well. So please send in your questions. I'd be happy to ask those on your behalf for our guests coming up. Guys, I've enjoyed it again. I appreciate the feedback that I get through and I look forward to seeing you and speaking to you all next week.